Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message I was in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, speaking about the subject of adoption. That adoption is something that we have. We have been adopted by God, in effect, through the new covenant because we have believed the gospel. We are then made into a new creation in Christ Jesus, and this is described as being a child of God. That's the idea of adoption. And this is part of the theme that was presented above in verse 3, as I spoke about this in a previous message. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, to speak about every spiritual blessing, you certainly can't talk about every single one at one time. And so Paul describes a few And adoption is one of those examples, one of the ways of understanding how we have already been blessed by God, been blessed in a spiritual way, identified in the heavenly places. In effect, you once were a nobody, and now you are a somebody, because God has made you into one of his children, as part of your believing and trusting in the truth that he has revealed. And so this is an example of a spiritual blessing that you have already received. In verse 5, he spoke about holiness and that we have already been made holy because of what he has done. We are blameless. We are loved by him. These are things that we can understand from verse 4. In verse 6, I'm going to speak about the subject of acceptance, which is another way of understanding how we have already been blessed by our God. In verse 6, it says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved, accepted in His love, accepted in Jesus, accepted in the Beloved. We are accepted by God. He accepts us, obviously not because of what we have done or what we have not done, but because of what He has done for us what he has given to us in the context of the good news, the gospel. He has given to us forgiveness, and he has made us spiritually alive by giving his spirit to us to dwell within us. And all of this is possible because he is gracious. And this was described in verse 2. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But when I was speaking about verse 2 in a previous message, I spoke about the idea that in most cases within the Christian world, people are speaking as if 
It is law to you. It is based on what we do and what we don't do. It is based on repentance and obedience, which effectively becomes law to you, because that is the definition of what is right and wrong, the definition of what is good and evil. And part of that also is what you are to do when you violate God in some way. And this is what most of Christianity has been about throughout the centuries. It really has been about the idea of law to you, not grace to you. Grace to you may be presented when it's time to talk to somebody about being saved. You know, when it's time to be saved, when it's time to talk about that, a person may be experiencing some significant changes in their lives. They're thinking about redefining their life. Maybe it's time to have some God in their life, that kind of thing. It's then that some pastor or minister or some leader of some kind will speak to this person and say, God loves you. He accepts you because he's forgiven you of all of your sins. He'll take you right where you are. He will work with you. He will grow you. He will take you to be one of his own. You will have his grace and mercy and his forgiveness and you can feel loved and accepted and secure in your relationship with God. And then, of course, a person says, okay, yeah, sure, why not? You know, I'll do that. I could use some of that in my life, especially after all of the rejection that I've been feeling lately. And then a person prays the sinner's prayer or prays something, does something in order to have a ceremonial experience so that they can say that at that moment they became a Christian. And then a week later, they go back to church and they get the real message that everybody in general will get. And that is, you wicked, evil, rotten sinner, you, how could God love you? You need to get the sin out of your life. He doesn't accept you. He's not going to bless you. You're never going to get any rewards from heaven. He might intervene in your life in order to cause some pain to get your attention so that maybe you'll stop sinning. And some people will go so far as to say that if you don't get it right soon, he might have to kill you and take you out early because you are just such an embarrassment to your God. That becomes the traditional message. There are a lot of reasons as to why people believe that kind of thing, why these kinds of doctrines are promoted. You know, one of the reasons why is just because people do have a sincere desire to reduce the sin in their lives. And this is how Christianity is often advertised. I spoke about this in a previous message, that often Christianity is advertised as to be a Christian means that you get your flesh under control, that you get the sin out of your life, that that is the purpose of being a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be saved, is that you stop sinning, that the objective of the Christian life is to get your flesh under control. I, of course, see something different in the scriptures. As an example here, what I see is that the objective of the Christian life is to discover how you have already been blessed by your God and how to live with the blessings that you have already received instead of what most people are promoting, which is how you are to live so that you can be blessed by God. But either you have already been blessed or you are trying to obtain blessings you can't have it both ways in this case, especially when he says all spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I don't think he left any out. So our Christian life, if we are to pursue it in that context, is a life of discovering 
what we have in Christ so that we can live with what we have in Christ Jesus. Whereas most people instead, they are living in a way that they are trying to control their flesh so that maybe they can be blessed by God so that they can maybe have something through which they can live their lives and have some sense of peace and rest in their hearts. But this will never be achieved because you are never going to get your flesh under control enough in order to meet the standard that God would require if that was going to be the condition through which he is going to bless you. You're never going to be able to do it well enough or close enough. You can't even compare yourself legitimately with somebody who doesn't even try and say that you're better than them. So, of course, God is going to bless you because he's got no one else to bless. That's just not how it works, but that's how a lot of people believe. Another part of this is that people are concerned of what may happen if a person discovers that God doesn't hold their sins against them anymore. If a person discovers that they are loved by their God, they are accepted by their God, if they discover this and really rest in it, not just from some positional point of view, but from a practical reality daily life that they have right now, from that point of view, what the concern tends to be when people get confronted with this is that people are concerned that a person may use the grace of God inappropriately. They may decide that it doesn't matter if they go out and sin like the devil because God is not going to hold their sins against them anymore. So they might as well just go out and indulge their flesh. People will use the grace of God as an excuse to sin. And this does happen. I have known many people who have made this decision. I know because eventually they get sick and tired of it. They realize it's not working and then they tell me. They contact me and they say, Aaron, I used what you taught inappropriately, just like you said some people would do. I did it and I had my time of the indulgence of the flesh thinking that God is not going to punish me, so why not? And I was so self-destructive that I finally recognized that this just isn't worth it. It's not working. It is as if I don't know the Lord at all. And of course, if they didn't know the Lord, they would have sinned just as much. They would have done the same things anyway, whether they knew the Lord, whether they didn't know the Lord. And so if a person uses the truth of love, forgiveness, acceptance, if they use the truth of the grace of God inappropriately, well, then God really doesn't lose anything because they would have done that kind of stuff anyway. And so it's not as if a person gains an excuse to sin. They really don't gain anything anyway because they would have done it anyway. And if they would have tried to live a life of the restraint of the flesh through living by the law, in effect, even though they won't call it living by the law, but it is the same thing, well, it's just going to stir up more sin anyway. Because you have the natural rebellion of humanity that people have, some people have, that they will respond to any law that you present to them and say, well, now, don't be telling me what to do. I'm going to do it just to show you. Or there are sins that they never would have thought of doing anyway, but because you brought it up, they start thinking about it and they start feeling tempted by it. And sure enough, eventually, they just go ahead and do it. But then what happens if a person finds a way to, in some ways, overcome the sin? Well, now they have succeeded. 
Now they have restrained their flesh. And so what are they going to do with that? In general, people use that as a way to build up their personal religious pride. And that pride comes out in so many different creative ways in terms of how they express their judgmental attitude towards other people, how they will compare themselves with other people, how they might even become quite religious to the extent where they may feel that it is their role in other people's lives to help them figure out how to be obedient to God like they are. And of course, when that person fails, well... Well, they'll get the judgment of God through that person. You know, religious pride produces all kinds of different sins to the extent where you will find that some of the meanest people you ever run across in your life are Christians, are religious people. But this is why. It is because of the belief that they have overcome the sin in their lives and they are using this in order to step on other people to elevate themselves. But for those who are quite sincere and honest and admit, they confess that it's not working for them, that they still struggle with sin, that they still have temptations like they had before, that the thought of engaging in sin, which is just as bad as doing it, comes to their mind quite often. It just doesn't go away. And when they do fail and they believe that God rejects them because of their failure, because of their sin, God no longer loves them like he once may have loved them. He definitely does not accept them. He definitely is ashamed of them. Well, then what are they going to do with all the emptiness that they have within them? What are they going to do with all the pain and suffering of wanting to be loved by somebody? of wanting to be accepted by some... What are they going to do? They are going to engage in sin. And this is another way that the pursuit of living by the law in some way, living by the knowledge of good and evil, as it is defined in many creative ways, so that people don't say it's living by the law, but it really is living by the law. When people do that because they are not resting in what God has already done for them, They are not resting in what God has already given to them. When they do this, it's just simply a life of being pushed more and more and more in different ways into sin. Because people need a break from all of the religious pressure that they live under. So this is a big part of the Christian world, and you will encounter it the more you get into it, the more that you spend time with other Christian people, other churches and the such, as you encounter the world, you're going to discover that this is everywhere. And this is a big part of people's lives who identify themselves as Christians, that the life of a Christian is about trying to get all of the sin out of your life. But at best, it only results in having about the same amount of sin as you've always had. And in some ways, you could end up with more, all because People are concerned about people using the grace of God inappropriately as an excuse to indulge the flesh. Now, like I said earlier, there are always going to be people who will do that anyway. There will always be people who will do that. And as I explained, God doesn't really lose anything out of this because they would have done so anyway. But there will be some people I have found that there are very few, but there will be some people 
who will use the grace of God for the reasons that he gave the grace of God. And they will experience change, transformation. They will grow in a relationship with him and they will grow to know him as a person. Very few people end up in that direction. Most people who recognize the grace of God will, in a sense, they will use that as an excuse to continue to indulge their flesh. Most of the people in the Christian world don't even make it that far. Those who do, like I said, most will go in that direction. Very few will embrace the grace of God for the purposes that he gave. But for those who don't even make it that far, they effectively go nowhere and spend their lives trying to get something from God that he has probably already given. And by default, they never really know what the grace of God is. Now, again, going to verse 6, when he said he has made us accepted in the beloved, this is something that we have that we can make use of in our daily lives. I explained a little bit earlier how sometimes people will be pressed into sin because they feel rejected by God. And that's because deep down inside, we have a need for acceptance. That is part of our design. God created us. He designed us to need acceptance from someone else. He designed us in a way that we need to be loved by someone else. Now, it's probably not such a good idea to try to gain love and acceptance from somebody else who also has a need for love and acceptance. That is not likely going to work out so well. You know, sometimes people have this idea that if you have one person looking for love and you have another person looking for love, hey, no problem. Just get them together and now they can both somehow be loved. But it doesn't work out that way. What you end up with is one person who needs love and another person who needs love. And so a good description of this is to say you've got two ticks and no dog. And so what are they going to do? They're going to go after each other and suck the life out of each other until, well, of course, you're not going to want to be around each other anymore. And so that just isn't going to happen. God designed us in a way that we will never feel satisfied. We will never be fulfilled. We will never have peace in our being, in the core of our spirit, unless we are loved by him unless we are accepted by him. He's not going to share this kind of a relationship with anybody else. No one else is going to take his place in your life. He wants to be the only one in your life who meets the deepest needs of your heart. There is no one else who ever will. There is nothing else in this world that may give you the sense of fulfillment that you genuinely need. You will always have that sense of emptiness until you receive what your God has for you. So when you receive the acceptance of God, and when you rest in the acceptance of God, if you can even make it that far, as I explained, most people in the Christian world do not want you to know that you are accepted by God because you may no longer have an incentive to get the sin out of your life so that God accepts you. And so you never make it. You never get that far. When you rest in the complete forgiveness of sins, then you can be accepted by him because you recognize that he has given to you his acceptance because of what he has already done for you. And if you will embrace what he has done for you, what he has given to you, 
if you will trust in and rely on, in effect, have faith in what he has done, if you will embrace that and respond to that, especially when you are confronted with a temptation to sin. And what will that temptation be? It will be the temptation of you will be accepted if you engage in this sin, whatever it may be. And if you think about it, you'll find, just like I explained in a previous message, you'll find some sin that you pursued just because you wanted to be loved by him. So also, you will find that there is probably some sin that you are engaged in or you have engaged in just because you wanted to be accepted. You know, who you really are might be unacceptable to some people. That just might be the case. And so you may pretend to be somebody that you are not just because you want someone to accept you. They're not really accepting you. They're accepting the person who you have presented to them, not the person who you genuinely are. But you'll be tempted to do that because you really have the need for acceptance. This is just one example. There are many different sins. Dishonesty is one. Many different sins that people engage in just because they want somebody to like them. This has to do with the need for acceptance. And so be accepted by your God or you will find yourself being condemned to circumstances and situations such that you will engage in sin because that's all you've got in order to experience some sense of peace in your heart. Another way to think about sin, then, if you consider this, is to think about it as an indication that a person is not being accepted by their God. When a person engages in sin, it shows that they are not being loved by their God. And so from that point of view, sin can be understood as an expression of the emptiness that a person has within them. Therefore, the solution is to fill the deepest part of a person's spiritual being with their God. Now, knowing this, it is very easy to fall into the temptation of then saying, okay, now we got the solution. Now we can get all the sin out of our life. That can be a side effect of the acceptance and the love of God. But that is not the objective. That is not the goal. The goal is to know our God. And to know him in the context of acceptance is a way of knowing him as a person. And to know him in the context of his love is a way of knowing him as a person. And to know that this was all given to us freely by his grace is to know him as a person. That's the beginning of verse 6, when he says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace is a way of saying to the praise of the knowledge of his grace. But if this is something that you don't know, that you don't understand, that you don't live by, then it just goes to show that you do not know his grace. And you certainly are not able to praise or glorify his grace because you don't know it. And I will continue with this in the next program.
You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.